We have a uh, great text before us this morning. I invite you to take your uh, Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, we're in verses uh, 23 to 25 this morning as we continue our study in, in um, Peter's uh, two letters. And in these uh, verses, it seems to me that Peter describes who we are as Christians and then contrasts it with who we would be if we weren't Christians. And so this is kind of an exciting text. Peter says that a Christian is a person who has been born again. Uh, the same way Jesus described it to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, uh, when Jesus explained to Nicodemus that uh, what has to happen for anybody to become a Christian is that uh, in order to enter the family of God, we have to be born into that family. And so Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, or 23, for you have been born again, listen to this now, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed. Okay? Uh, through the living and enduring word of God. How does a person get born again? Through the living and enduring word of God. The imperishable seed. Now, you know, I always like to remind people that we all have a body, a soul, and a spirit. And uh, even though our body is alive, our spirit is dormant, dead, the Bible says, in trespasses and sins until something happens to us, until our spirit is regenerated and uh, born again, uh, given new life, uh, infused with eternity, however you want to say it. Uh, but uh, we have this physical life, which we all understand, and we have this spiritual life, which lies dormant until this experience that Peter is talking about, that the Lord is talking about, happens to us. And our soul, right, our thoughts, feelings, and choices, the non-material part of us, hangs in the balance between our physical life and our spiritual life. And when your spiritual life is not alive and not happening and not a reality, and all you have is your physical life, your soul can only be informed by what your physical reality can take in. Your, you know, what you hear, what you see, what you think, and so forth out there. Uh, the world through your physical body informs your soul. When you're born again, as the Bible talks about it, and the Spirit of God animates your spirit, you begin to have a source for your soul, your thoughts, feelings, and choices in your spirit. And everything changes. And you'll notice that what Peter says here is that when you're born physically, you're born of perishable seed. Perishable seed. In other words, your physical life is perishable. Your physical life is temporary. You are going to die. This physical existence that we live now is going to end. Um, everything that's living, if you think about it, starts with a seed. Flowers, trees, animals, people. We start with a seed. Everything that's alive starts with a seed. But the seed that's physical is perishable seed. And Peter makes his point here by quoting from Isaiah, way back in Isaiah chapter 40, or Psalm 103 says the same thing, all men, notice here in verse 24, all men are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. A flower is here for a little burst. We have this uh, uh, flowering cherry tree on our front yard, right? And it's beautiful. 
But by next week, when it rains and the wind blows, it's done. It's really kind of ugly after that. So like for three weeks, you know, it's beautiful. And for the rest of the year, it's kind of ugly. Looks kind of sad to me. It's a weeping thing, you know, and I'm like, it's appropriately named. It looks like the thing is crying, you know. But for three weeks, it's beautiful. It's glorious. And Peter says, that's the way our life is if it's only physical. You're here for 100 years. You have this little burst, but then it's over and it's nothing, right? And, and so physical life doesn't last. It's just that simple. And so uh, actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible says that your physical body is a seed to your spiritual body. You remember that passage where Paul talks about how do our bodies come back in the next life? How do we get a new body? And, 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 and Paul says that this body is like a seed. And a seed doesn't ever come to life until, you, until it dies and you plant it in the ground. You know, if you take a tomato and you take a seed and you plant it in the ground and it dies, it seems very dead. That's when it becomes the plant that it was always intended to be. And Paul compares that to our body. He says, this body is like a seed. And you, until it's die and, and planted in the ground, uh, it doesn't become all that God intends for it to be. It's a great passage in 1 Corinthians 15. But the problem is, because we're only physical, the Bible says God has put eternity in people's hearts. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. The Bible says that God has made us in his likeness, in his image, and he's not perishable. And so um, we have this um, uniqueness about us that when God uh, made us, he made us to be like himself. And so here's the thing. You can never find contentment. You can never find satisfaction in your soul through the physical side of your life. Because God has put something more inside your heart, inside your spirit. And you'll never be able to come to that place where um, you find contentment in the physical side of life um, because it's all temporary and we were designed for eternity. Your physical life is only temporary. So when the only input for your soul is coming from the physical side, you'll never find peace and satisfaction because you were made for more. You were made for way more than just the physical side. But the more that you were made for is not more physical life. And this is the insight that Peter gives us. You know, when people think I'd be satisfied and I'd find contentment if I could just have more, if I could just have more of the physical side, if I got more money, I'd be satisfied, right? If I could have more uh, material things, if I could live in my dream house, I'd finally be satisfied. If I could have more sexual pleasure, I'd finally find satisfaction. You know, that's his old... Remember Solomon? He had 700 wives. There's nothing new. I mean, this past week, you know, homosexuality is being glorified by uh, the whole sports world. And, uh, you know, what what is that? Think of the whole industry that is spun off of the misguided uh, thought that um, ultimately sexual experience is where it's at and that I'll find contentment and satisfaction. Think of the industry that caters to that misguided thought, you know. Uh, For some people, you know, if I could just find the ultimate vacation, that would, if I could have more vacation, then I'd be satisfied. You know, we were on a cruise with my dad not too long ago, and I read this article that says um, it costs less to go on a cruise for a month than it costs to stay in the average nursing home for a month. So I got this thought. I serve on the board of directors for our, 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 our uh, Elam Park, our continuing uh, 
community facility up in Cheshire, which has a nursing home as a part of its facility and stuff. And I thought, I wonder if I have enough clout as a board member to get Elam Park to buy a cruise boat. We got like 3,000 people on a cruise boat, get everybody's social security together, we hire a captain, and off we go. Summertime, we go south or north, and the wintertime, we go you know, south, and wouldn't it be great to float your way into heaven, you know, at that stage of the game? So, the ultimate vacation. Some people think that, you know, if I could just have the perfect family, that would do it for me, I'd be satisfied. Some people think if I could just have the perfect body, we have gyms all over the place. Everybody's trying to, you know, max out uh, their potential physically. If I could just have, you know, but look, think about it. Everything physical fades. It's all perishable. It's all born of a perishable seed. It's all temporary. To be born again is to be brought to life spiritually. In addition to physical life, there is such a thing as spiritual life. And to be born again is to be given that spiritual capacity to be born into this eternal life by this, what Peter calls, imperishable seed. There is something in life that's not perishable. It's the imperishable seed, which is the word of God. And uh, it's pretty exciting when you think about this, to be born through the living and enduring word of God. For you have been born again, if you're a Christian, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. The living word of God, imperishable seed. If you were to ask yourself, how did the physical world come into being? Well, if you believe the Bible and you read Genesis, you realize God spoke. And things were created. I hope you're a creationist. I hope you realize the diabolical intention of the theory of evolution to deal God out. But if you're a believer in the word of God and you read in Genesis that God spoke, that his word, his word is so powerful that he speaks and things happen. He can order the universe. You know, and that's what he did. And, and so the physical world came about by the very word of God. God's word is all powerful. This morning, Margie read for us from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And, and the word what? Was God. God and his word are one and the same. When God speaks, God acts. It's all one and the same. And the word of God is what became flesh in Jesus the living word. And Peter says, when you're a Christian, you're born again of the living, imperishable word of God. How does a physical person come to be born spiritually? Through the word of God. God speaks. You believe the spirit of God brings God's word into your spirit. You become a believer. And by that process, God causes you to be born into his family. The Spirit of God brings the Word of God to our spirit, and life is born. Uh, you know, the world, uh, the Word is living, the, Peter says, and enduring. It's not perishable. It's not temporary. It's not changing. And it creates spiritual life, eternal life. And unlike our physical life, which fades and dies, our spiritual life gets better and better. Do you remember when um, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, Paul writes to this church, and he says, look, we don't lose heart. Some people, you know, as you get older and things start to fall apart in your physical life and you realize that some of your dreams aren't ever going to come true and, you know, and you start, and Paul, some people start to lose heart as they get older. Look what Paul says in verse 16 of um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Here's what he says. Though outwardly, our physical life, we are wasting away, 
inwardly we're being renewed day by day by day by day your physical life's getting worse and if it's not you're just on the wrong side of the hill but it will as soon as you get over the hill your physical life will start to go down and that will that's what will happen but your spiritual life is getting better and better and richer and more meaningful and, uh, and as you go day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all our troubles did you hear what Paul wrote when we came around the table he said look when you come to this table examine yourself take some inventory on life we, we live such busy lives that we don't slow down and take some time to think about it he said you know because we don't really appreciate what all that represents some people are sick some people are dying and some people are having problems because God is sending those problems to wean them off of their wrong way of thinking so that they can become spiritually more alive and he invites us instead of having to go through all of that how would you like to have the advantage of just being honest and real about yourself and examine yourself so that God doesn't have to discipline you but you take that process and go before the Lord and own your own reality and in that process uh, grow in this spiritual life we we not only are born by the living Word of God but we grow and so Paul goes on and he says here in this second uh, Corinthians he says so we fix our eyes not on what's seen we don't live primarily through our physical lives we fix our eyes not necessarily on what's seen but on what's unseen because what's seen is temporary but what's unseen is eternal and so what a uh, what a great thought Peter puts before us to take the Word of God I've uh, learned to be content the Apostle Paul said in any physical circumstances I've learned to be content in any physical circumstance um, I have learned in fact the Paul says I have learned the secret of being content in every circumstance uh, the Bible goes on to say that godliness with contentment is great gain what a great way to live is to have godliness and have contentment be a reality and so when you think about this uh, the 23rd Psalm says the same thing the Lord is my shepherd I want for nothing so I question you know is it possible is it actually possible in this life that your spiritual life could grow to such a prominent place in your being that it would overshadow your physical life that you could actually get to the place where you're making choices to satisfy your spiritual life at the cost of your physical life because it's become more important to you because it's imperishable um, and when you think about that can our spiritual life become so prominent that our physical life is actually used to serve our spiritual life um, would people who know you describe you as a contented person does first Peter 315 ever happen to you first Peter 315 says always be ready to give an answer when people ask you why are you so hopeful of a person why are you so optimistic in the midst of the crazy world in which we always be ready to give the answer has that ever happened to you has anybody ever come to you and said what you are so content in life and I can see it on your face and the way you react in situations and so on and so on. how do you live such a life that's full of hope always be ready to give that answer Peter says you know 
Well, remember, Jesus told a story when he was here, and uh, it was about a farmer who was spreading seed, you remember, and it falls on four types of soil. Now, Jesus said, it's in Matthew 13, Jesus said that the, the seed that the farmer sows, the seed, is the word of God. It's the same seed that Peter's talking about, the imperishable seed of the living and enduring word of God. And so this farmer, you know, goes out there and he's spreading seed. And uh, it falls on four different kinds of soil. You remember this? There's the hard heart. And uh, the seed never even penetrates that heart. The devil comes, Jesus says, takes it away. You know, they hear the word of God, but nothing sinks in. And so it just goes away. And then there's the rocky heart and the weedy heart. And then there's finally the good heart. And so I find that, you know, a lot of times people are really happy to talk about preachers. Right? And they're like, they evaluate preachers. They're like, you know, well, you did a good job today. You didn't do so good today. And, you know, all of that sort of thing. But Jesus says, look, the preacher's just an old farmer. He's just throwing out the seed. The real issue is, what kind of hearts is it falling on? The real issue is, you know, where's the seed going when it gets to you? That's the real issue. And uh, he says, you know, first of all, there's the, the hard heart, this this person who, um, you know, uh, just is hard in their heart. They're just uh, against God and, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, so the, the seed never gets to first base in a hard heart. It just never even gets to first base. And then second, Jesus said, uh, there's the rocky heart, the rocky soil. And when the seed hits that kind of a person, uh, it kind of takes root. person gets all excited but because there's, it's just a veneer of soil in their life, and there's solid rock underneath, uh, the seed can never take root. And so it doesn't, it doesn't, they never get to second base. Uh, they get to first base, but never to second base. And I, I was thinking about this. This past week, I was helping my son, and um, he had a plumber working at his house. And so I was working with this plumber to help him out a little bit and, and uh, putting in a shower and so forth. And we get the whole thing all done, and... Um, Go to turn on the water, and the whole thing leaks. Just just big, you know. And I look at him. I'm like, hey, you're the plumber here, man. You know, I'm just the laborer, you know. But anyway, so we take the unit out, and and it's a brand-new unit. And um, we have to decide, you know, shall we take this unit apart and see if we can fix it? It's a brand-new unit. Will that ruin the warranty? And so he looks at me and says, well, what do you want to do, you know? And do you want to send it back? But that's like two weeks down the road or whatever. And um, Brett's fixing up this apartment for his future uh, grandmother-in-law, who's 97. I don't know that she's got two more weeks, you know, to add on here and there and so forth. And so, all right, let's take it apart, see what we can do. So we take this thing apart, and there's a little O-ring inside that is broken. That must have been the manufacturing happened and and so forth. And so I said, you know, uh, you're a plumber. Do you have, like, a kit, you know, that has all different size O-rings? Because I've seen them, you know, and... He's like, no, I don't have... I said, well, maybe we can go to Home Depot or something. He's like, no, this is going to be a special thing, and it's got to be exactly the same, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But he's getting more and more flustered, doesn't know quite what to do. So finally he says, all right, do you know where there's a Home Depot around? So I'm like, yeah, he wasn't from this area. So we go to Home Depot, and we go right to the aisle, in the plumbing aisle, and we, we find the exact O-ring. There's a chart. You can pick... Or you set the O-ring on it. So he says, I'm going to make sure. And there's boxes. You have to buy, like, 20 of them, right? They're in a little box. It's $2 for 20 of them, okay? So in a little box, he says, I'm going to make sure that, you know, we've got the right thing. So he opens the box. He takes a couple of these O-rings, puts them in his pocket, right? And uh, so uh, I said, all right, well, he says, oh, they're exactly the right thing. I said, good, I'll buy the box, you know? 
And uh, no, no, no. He says, you don't have to buy the box. He says, don't worry about it. I got a couple of them. And uh, then he says, oh, let's, uh, let's pretend we're looking in the catalog in case there's cameras around here right now. He doesn't know who I am. I'm just, you know, my son's father. And so we're looking at this catalog. And so I'm like, look, I'm going to buy them, and you can have the extras. May, you might have a problem with this somewhere down the line, right? So anyway, so I buy the things. We get in the car and so forth. We're driving back to my son's house, and he leans his arm on the side of the car. It was a nice day. The windows were open. And I happened to notice from driving over here that the whole inside of his arm is tattooed with people. There's all people. I mean, very good tattoo, very clear, defined. And there's a whole group of people. And I look a little closer. It's the Last Supper. He's got the Last Supper tattooed on his arm. I think, man, that must have hurt. I would never do that. Right? <laughs> Ouch, right? He's tough guy. He's all muscle. He was tattooed like from the neck down, right? This guy, right? So, so I, know, I said, is that the Lord's Supper on your arm? He's like, yeah, he was all proud. You know, he's the Lord's Supper and pulls his sleeve up. He says, look, and I got Jesus and Mary and the rosary and the cross and everything all on this arm. He says, the other arm is my devil arm. Then he's got all of this other stuff on his other arm, you know. And I thought, now here's a guy who's heard something about the cross and about Jesus and Mary and, and the Last Supper and, you know, and so but he's, he, he's never gotten to second base. It never sunk in. He's rocky soil, right? He's what Jesus is talking about. When the word of God goes out to people and it lands on a rocky heart, they sort of get it on the surface. He had a skin-deep faith, literally, right? It's tattooed all over him. But he didn't get that. You know, if you were really for Jesus, you don't steal 10-cent O-rings. You know, and I thought, that's rocky soil. The third kind of soil Jesus talks about is the weedy soil. And he says, you know, my word goes out, the living word of God that has the power to bring people to life spiritually and give them eternal life beyond the grave and so on and so forth. But it falls on this third kind of soil, the weedy soil. And this is a person who hears the word, gets it, understands the word, but Jesus says two things happen to this person. There's a lot of Fairfield County people like this. The worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word of God. The living and abiding word of God. The worries of life and the deceitfulness. I think one of the worst things that can happen to anybody is to be deceived. To be deceived is to believe a lie. It's to live your life believing a lie. That's what it means to be deceived, right? I think it's the worst thing that can happen. Can you imagine? Jesus says there's going to be some people who get to the end, stand before him and say, but man, we thought we were on your side. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Oh, can you imagine that? You know, what a terrible thing that would be. And so this third kind of soil is the kind of soil that the deceitfulness of wealth, thinking that money can do what only God can do. It's such a deceit, such a lie, and so many people believe it, you know. And the worries of life. You remember what Jesus said? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you, the other stuff in life. It's the opposite of the way we live. We usually go, I'm so busy in life that when I get time, I'll worship God. When I get time, I'll saturate 
myself in his word so that that living word can cause me to grow and and so on and so forth. And then finally Jesus says, you know, uh, uh, there's the fourth kind of soil. It gets to first base, second base, third base. And then this fourth kind of soil actually is able to score. It's called the good soil, Jesus calls it, the good heart. And the unique thing about the good heart is it always reproduces the living seed. You notice how Jesus describes the good heart. It's the person, the heart, that takes the word of God and then regurgitates it all over the place. <laughs> it takes one seed, the truth, the living word of God, and then makes it theirs and shares it wherever they can. It produces fruit. It produces more seeds. And um, you can always tell the good heart because it always produces, reproduces more seeds. Uh, the living word of God reproduces Uh, Disciples, Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. And I would tell you uh, that a disciple is always a disciple maker. Anybody who considers themselves a disciple is in the business of disciple making because that's the commission that the Lord left for all of us, go into the world and make disciples. And everybody that's a disciple is in that business of making disciples. And you know, you make a disciple really kind of simple. I think we've complicated it so much, but the truth is you can make a disciple by doing two things with anybody. You can get together with somebody and do two things. You can pray for them that the Spirit of God, and you can read the Word of God with them, that the Spirit of God will bring the Word of God home and you can make a disciple. The Word of God and the Spirit of God is what gives life and what grows a disciple. And anybody can do that. You can get together, you can pray for that person and read the Word with them and share what you think and what God has built into you, and that's how we make disciples. And the Bible says when that seed, the living, imperishable seed of God gets into your life, you will then reproduce, and that's the good soil. That's why the seed is coming to you, so that you can take it and reproduce it in the next person's life. Every disciple is a disciple maker. And so when all this happens, when the spiritual life actually grows, I would tell you that the physical life stops existing for itself. Your physical life still exists, but your physical life now exists to express this spiritual life that God has given you. A Christian is a person who lives from the inside out. A person who is only born of perishable seed lives all the time from the outside in. All their thoughts, feelings are conditioned and controlled by what's outside. Through their bodies, they take it all in. A person who has life in their spirit, a person who is born spiritually and has that thing going on with God, has this relationship going on with God, now uses their body to be an expression of this new life, this alternate life that God has instilled in us. And we're using our mouth and we're using our actions to express this reality that's that's coming to us by this imperishable seed, the living and enduring word of God. And all of a sudden, our bodies are used for a whole different purpose. And that's why I think the Apostle Paul says, hey, I've learned the secret of being content in any um, circumstances. Um, Contentment comes from the living word of God taking up root in our spirits and giving us this alternative life. Once our souls are animated by the word of God, nothing less than God's word satisfies us. And I think that's why God said way back in the Old Testament, The very first commandment, listen, don't put any other small g gods before me. You will never find contentment and satisfaction in life apart from me. I am your God, and I am for you. I am not against you. And so we have this source of contentment on the inside, and we realize that this contentment comes increasingly not by adding more physical stuff to life, but actually by simplifying the physical side of life so that 
we have more room to develop the spiritual side, which really does satisfy us from the inside out. Uh, A Christian uh, is alive spiritually, born of this imperishable seed, uh, finds contentment from a whole different source than that person who is only born of perishable seed. And so um, it occurs to me that the Bible, the living word of God, is so important, right, in people's lives. It's not only how we're born, but it's how we're sustained. And uh, in closing, I realize we're out of time, but in closing, I just would like to um, suggest to you uh, that um, there's no substitute for the living word of God in a person's life. Um, You cannot know God apart from his word. God and his word are the same. You cannot know Jesus Christ apart from his word. You cannot know about your true condition as a sinful person separated by God by all your wrong thoughts and attitudes and deeds and all the rest of it apart from the word of God. You think you're a good person apart from the word of God. That's why a lot of people, if you ask people, have you spent any time reading the Bible? And they'll say, no, I just don't have time. It's never that they don't have time. They have 168 hours in their week like everybody else. It's that they don't want to go there because it's convicting. And if you don't know the Lord and you haven't been to the cross and you're not born again and you don't have the blood of Jesus running in your veins, well, you don't want to hear about that. You want to think you're a good guy. So you stay away. But it's through the word of God that we learn about the salvation that God has provided in Christ. And I would tell you this. It's only through the word of God that you can know the future. Anything you know about the future comes from the word of God. What happens after you die? You can't know that apart from the word. The living and abiding, enduring word of God is how people are born, and it's how people grow. Uh, John Ortberg wrote a book um, one time, and he said, uh, life is like Monopoly. Okay, you can play Monopoly, you can play your life, you can uh, take the money, buy the hotels, uh, get ahead of everybody else on a physical plane, but at the end of your life, all the pieces go back in the box. All the hotels, the houses, the money, it all just goes back in the box. And if you live your life like a Monopoly game, and you think that the only reality that exists is the physical, you know, born of that physical seed, you're being deceived. And you need to understand that Jesus came in order that we might have eternal life. And it's a gift from God. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your word again. And uh, even here in Peter, just in these couple of verses, uh, we, we think, uh, wow, we are born of this perishable seed. We know that we all die. We just had a funeral here yesterday, and, uh, and we all come to an end physically. But you, Father, have intended us to be like yourself. You've created us to be eternal. You've created us in your own image, in your own likeness. And, Father, you've sent Jesus in order that we might experience the reality of this eternal life. And so I pray, Father, that our hearts would be like that good soil, that your seed, the imperishable seed, would hit our hearts, and it would be good soil, and it would find a home in our hearts, and as a result, it would reproduce more and more seed, that we would be people of the word who are uh, sharing the word with others in order that they might come to know the truth about you and who you are and who we are and how much you really do love us and what you've provided for us in Christ. To that end, I pray that you would have your way with each of us. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen.